0: Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 3. It's time to get ready. See, we have a new baby in the congregation today, James Zebedee. And uh, you all had to do a little bit to to get ready, right? The baby's coming. Got to get ready. Now we got a baby. Hopefully we're ready, right? How many of you all had to ever get ready for something? Got ready for work. Got ready for school, got ready to come to church today. Ever had to get ready? Maybe it's something a little bigger and and more involved like uh, getting ready for a baby. Maybe you had to get ready for a new job. Maybe you had to get ready for a musical, for a play, for a, a drama like Sarah and others. Maybe you had to get ready for a sports event. Maybe you're a football player, basketball player, soccer player, a hockey player. Probably not down here, but uh, maybe you had to get ready for your sport. You do a lot of preparation. Yesterday, I was at a winter guard event. They flipped these flags and rifles and real sabers and uh, had to get ready. I don't want to get hurt. I want to do it right. Have you ever had to get ready for something? Anybody here ever move? Takes a lot of getting ready, does it not? There are boxes to pack. There's a truck to get trailers, uh, whatever you use. People to help you. You gotta pack all the stuff up. You, you gotta get ready. How many of you ever had to get ready for a wedding? Yeah, that takes a lot of preparation, does it not? All kinds of things you got to decide in order to get ready for a wedding. Now, I'm not an expert in wedding planning. We need advice from an expert, see Jeannie Smith. Is Jeannie here today? Jeannie, what's that? She has the flu. flu. Hello, Jeannie, if you're watching on Facebook Live. (laughs) I've given you a plug this morning. If you need a wedding planner, see Jeannie. J-Lo's got nothing on her other than about $360 million. But uh, now I don't know a whole lot about weddings other than conducting a fair amount of them. I'm not even that good at it. I remember forgetting a wedding one time. I was supposed to do the wedding. I was the preacher. And it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. My phone rings at 3.55. Kevin, where are you? Are you coming? It's like... I'll be right there. It just occurred to me a couple of days ago, uh, they didn't come to church at our church anymore after that. i sure it had nothing to do with that. I remember another wedding that I did. Um, for the life of me, I could not remember the bride's name during the ceremony, and I kept calling her by the ex-wife's name. That, that was not good. Now, truth be told, it was the former wife had passed away. There's a good relationship, but you should at least think that I could get the bride's name correctly. Anyway, weddings can be stressful, especially if you have me doing them, okay? Seriously, when you're planning a wedding, there's a lot of decisions to be made, are there not? First of all, you got to decide who you're going to get married. That's a pretty big decision, is it not? Then you're going to decide where you're going to get married and when you're going to get married and who's going to do the wedding. You're not going to ask me probably after what I just told you. And you're going to decide where we're going to have the reception. And you're going to have to decide who's going to be in the wedding and who's not going to be in the wedding. That can be stressful. And who's going to be invited to the wedding and who's not going to be invited to the wedding? That can be stressful as well. There's all kinds of decisions that you have to make. And what are we going to have at the reception, right? Weddings can be expensive. According to one survey, the average wedding cost is about $230 per guest. Some of you just trimmed your wedding party invitee size, right? It's $230 a guest. I was going to have 200 I think I'll do 150 now. Okay, get that down a little lower. The average cost, according to the survey, is $30,000 per wedding, and that doesn't even count the honeymoon. Now, when Monique and I got married, we didn't spend nearly that much money. But we had about 500 people at the wedding, not because we were popular, but because I worked at a church, and lots of people came. Do the math now. 500 people times $230, that's $115,000. I ain't doing that, right? Not spending that kind of money. If you went to my wedding, Carol, you wouldn't have got steak and chicken, You wouldn't have got filet mignon. You'd have been lucky if you'd have got uh, cake and punch and maybe some peanuts and some mints. And that's about it. Went to my wedding. We're not going somewhere off. We're not having a band. We're not going to have a DJ. We're going down to the church fellowship hall right after the service. Okay, we're done. Well, my idea of the, the perfect wedding would have been this. I would have had service on Sunday morning. Everybody's invited. We'd have sent out a few invitations. To people who lived out of town. But everybody would have been invited to the wedding, and then at the end of the service, a regular worship service, the pastor would have had Monique and I come forward and done the wedding ceremony. It had been over. Five minutes. We're done. We're good. All right. Go on the honeymoon. We didn't get to do that. Um... I did hear about a couple that tried that one time. And the pastor preached the sermon. When he finished, he gave an invitation. After the invitation was over, uh, he was to do the wedding. But he didn't know the couple very well. And he could not remember their names. Sound familiar? And so he just said, those who are getting married this morning, would you please come forward now? Three men and five women came forward that day. (laughs) The pastor wasn't ready. Talk about embarrassing. But here in Luke chapter 3, we meet a man by the name of John. His job was to help people get ready. And when someone asked John if he was the Messiah, he said no. I'm like the best man at a wedding. I'm getting people ready for the groom." The groom is Jesus Christ, and the church is, you guessed it, the bride. We are the bride of Christ. What an honor. We, the church, are the body of Christ. Isn't that amazing? He is the groom, and we, church, are the bride. Well, John was apparently a pretty common name in the Bible. One of Jesus' 12 disciples was named John. But this is a different John. This John we know is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Not because he was the first Baptist, but because he traveled around the country calling people to turn from their sins and to be baptized in order to get ready for the coming Messiah. Luke chapter 3 verse 2 tells us that the word of God came to John while he was in the wilderness. John was definitely not your... Seminary educated, suit wearing city type preacher. He didn't wear tassels and flowing robes like the Pharisees. This guy is rugged. Think desert, wilderness, mountain man, Old Testament prophet, no holds bar, fire and brimstone type preacher. Not much on social graces. Personal hygiene wasn't his highest priority. Probably didn't get invited to a lot of parties. From his birth, he was dedicated to God in what is known as the Nazarite vow. Probably had long hair and a bushy beard. It's probably unkept. I can just see wild honey stuck to this guy's beard and a couple of locust legs. That's what he ate locusts and wild honey. A couple of locust legs sticking out from it. He might have looked something like this, or maybe like this. Think Duck Dynasty on steroids, okay? Get the picture. Verse 3. And he, that's John, went into all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the baptizer is telling people to repent. Have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of life. It's as though you're going in one direction. And when you repent, you have a change of mind, a change of heart, A change of direction, a change of life, and you turn around, and instead of going in your own direction, you go in God's direction. That's what repentance is about. John's baptism looked forward to the coming of Jesus. Christian baptism looks back on the coming of Jesus the first time. The Bible, along with many of the people of John the Baptist's day, compared John the Baptist to the great Old Testament prophet Elijah. Elijah. Like Elijah, John the Baptist was bold and powerful, anointed by God to proclaim the word of God. Here in the next two verses, John the Baptist quotes from another great Old Testament prophet whose name was Isaiah, verse 4. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In ancient times, before a great king would travel somewhere, rough and bumpy roads would have to be improved. Potholes would have to be fixed. Debris would have to be cleared away. Work crews would be sent ahead to prepare the way. John is telling the people, the Messiah is coming. Get ready. Here in verses 4 and following, John continues. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill will be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places... "...shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God." In other words, the Messiah, the one that you've been hearing about all of your lives, the one the prophets have been talking about for centuries, he is coming, John the baptizer says, so get ready. But when John told the people to get ready, he didn't tell them to fix the potholes in the roads or pick up the trash on the side of the highway. John told the people, you've got to be spiritually ready. And he didn't pull any punches. He told them they were not ready. He even called them snakes. You don't believe me, do you? Go to verse 7. He said, therefore, to the crowds, they came out to be baptized by him. You brood of vipers, you poisonous snakes, he said. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Judgment is coming. The city of Jerusalem would be destroyed... Less than 40 years later, and final judgment would come when Jesus returned at the second coming. We are still waiting for that judgment to come today, but believe me, he is coming. Do you believe that? In verse 8, John continues. Bear fruits and keep him with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones children for Abraham. A lot of people heard John and they were thinking, you know, we were born in the right country. We belong to religious families. We're pretty good. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you ain't all that good. <laughs> now, some of you don't like to use the word ain't. So you said, you aren't all that good. It doesn't have quite the same effect, but it's the same meaning, okay? All right. You see, we have a similar concept in our world today. A lot of people think they can be basically right with God in their own power. If I go to church, if I'm a nice person, if I behave better than a lot of the members that go to your church behave, if I kind of believe in God and I'm not an atheist, then then I'll get to go to heaven because I'm really pretty good. What we'll have a contest this morning. I need a, a senior adult and I need a young strapping person. Uh, Miss Jan, why don't you come up? She's a, she's, she'll be our senior adult. Come on up here. I need a young, you want come on, come on up here, brother. Come on up here, folks. You can, you can come this way, it's all right. I do it all the time. See you, man. Miss Jan's not going to come that way. Coming up here, Miss Jan. We have a contest. Coming up here. Here's the contest. We're going to see which one of you can run and jump the furthest, okay? How's that sound? All right. What do you think? Yeah. Which one of these do you think would probably win? Got your money on Jan. That doesn't say much for you, does it? (laughs) In reality, this young man here would probably win that long jumping contest. But suppose I would ask both of you to see which one of you could run and jump across the Grand Canyon. Which one do you think would win? neither, right? That's a lose-lose, right? Why? Because the Grand Canyon is an average of 10 miles wide. There's no way that either of them nor any of us could ever jump across the Grand Canyon. You don't need a little extra help to jump across the Grand Canyon. You need a helicopter in order to be right with God, you don't need a little extra help and be a little extra good. You need a helicopter. His name is Jesus. And he has provided a way for you to be forgiven of your sin. Thank you all. I appreciate that very much. You can be seated. Go ahead and jump down if you want to. All right. Thank you. All right. Take the stairs. That's the good news. God has provided a way for you to be right with him. His name is Jesus Christ. You don't have to go to church a hundred times. You don't have to read the Bible every day. You don't have to get your act cleaned up first. All you have to do is say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I'm willing to turn from my sin and place my faith in you. I give my life to you. If you will give your life to Jesus Christ today, you can be saved before you leave the building this morning. You can be right with God. And if we get done with this service and you still have some questions, see me. Because I don't want anybody to leave the building here without knowing that you can be right with God. And if you don't do that today, send me a text, shoot me an email. I encourage you not to wait. But if you do wait, nail it down. Know that you know Christ is Savior and Lord. And don't, don't take a chance on that today. You can't earn that, but you can be right with God because salvation is a gift. Say the word gift with me. Gift. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. You can't work hard enough. But you can receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. But... If you're a genuine follower of God, it's got to make a difference in the way that you live. Here, Luke chapter 3, verse 9, John warns the people. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John is telling the people, get ready. Judgment is coming. And the crowds were convicted by what John the Baptist said. They wanted to know, how do we get ready? Go to verse 10. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered, Whoever has two tunics, or we might say, if you have an extra shirt, share with the one who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors are also came to be baptized. And John said to them, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more taxes than you're authorized to do. Tax collectors in that day were known for ripping people off and putting the money in their own pocket. And John says, don't do that. Soldiers who also could have taken advantage of the people, because the soldiers were Roman soldiers, and the Jews were an oppressed people, soldiers also asked John, and what shall we do? And John said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, but be content with your wages. In essence, John told them. It's not enough just to say you want to be right with God. You've got to demonstrate that by the way that you live. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I believe, gives us the proper balance. Many of you know the scripture says this. By grace are you saved. Grace is unmerited, undeserved favor of God. By grace are you saved through faith. Faith is relying upon clinging to something or someone. Someone. How many of you demonstrated any faith today? You probably all did. How many of you sitting in a pew or in a chair? You demonstrated faith when you sat down in there. You didn't get down on your hands and knees and check this thing out and see if it was sturdy. You just sat down, right? How many of you drove to church today or you rode with someone else? You demonstrated faith. If you're riding with someone else, you demonstrated faith in that driver to get you here. You might not have had a lot of faith, but you weren't thinking, we're probably going to die. You probably wouldn't rode. How many of you, when you came up to a stop sign or a red light, thought, I hope this car stops. I hope this car stops. I hope it stops. No, you probably put on the brakes, and you thought the car is going to stop. How many of you, when you got into the car this morning, thought, I don't think this this car is going to start, but I'll go ahead and train It's a crank anyway. Now you thought it would start, right? So you turned it on. You had faith that that would happen. We all demonstrate faith every day by the way that we live. But God is calling us to demonstrate our faith in him by trusting in Jesus to be the one who forgives us of our sins. And one day will take us to heaven. Back to Ephesians 2. By grace are you saved through faith, even that is not of yourselves. It is a gift. Say the word gift with me. Gift from God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. You don't earn a gift. You don't work hard enough to get a gift. You receive a gift that's given to you by God. Ephesians 2 continues. By grace are you saved through faith, even that is not of yourself. It's a gift from God, not of works, not by doing enough stuff lest, he continues, anyone should boast or go around bragging about it. So you can't earn your salvation. You can't be good enough, but you can receive salvation as a gift. But Ephesians chapter 2 doesn't stop there. If you have received the gift of salvation, it needs to make a difference in the way that you live. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is followed by verse 10. It says this, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God says, if you trust in me, it should change your life. You are my workmanship, which also is translated as masterpiece in one translation. God's work of art, God's poem, one translation or one commentator says, you are God's work. And he's working on you to do something in your life to make you more like Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If you're a new person in Christ, your life will change because you're a new person. Jesus says it's like being born again, a new person in Christ. James says, you show me faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Faith without works, he says, is dead. If you say that you're a Christian, but you don't live according to what God's word teaches, then maybe you don't know Christ at all. And think about it. If you are a Christian, why would you not want to follow Jesus Christ with your life? Think about it. How many think God knows more than you do? Okay. How many of you think God's more powerful than you are? Okay. How many think God could be everywhere at the same time? And you can't, right? How many think God loves you more than you have the capacity to love? Why would you not follow him then? God doesn't say, follow me and I'll get rid of all your problems and you'll never have another trouble, never have a headache, never ever get sick. Jeannie, I said that for you because you got the flu today. God doesn't say, if you follow me, life will be free of problems. No, God says, if you follow me, I'll be with you. And he's never failed me yet. How about you? Trust and never doubt. He's there. He's there. And the thick and the thin and the easy and the hard, when the circumstances make sense, when they absolutely do not, God says, I will be with you. And I'll give you power for living. And his goal for you is not to make you a millionaire. Sorry. It's not to cause you to live to be 105 and never have a headache. Sorry. His goal for you is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ so that you look more and more like Christ every day. He wants to grow you up in your faith because he loves you. Now, let me quickly say again, you can't earn your way to be right with God by good deeds. But placing your faith in Jesus Christ is not the end of a journey. It's the beginning of it. And Philippians 1, six says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Go to verse 15. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all by saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John, in essence, says... I'm just an unworthy messenger. I don't deserve this privilege of announcing the coming of the Christ. But I have an amazing privilege that's been given to me by God, and so I will use it for his glory. Later in John's ministry, more people were coming to hear Jesus than John. And John's followers became jealous. But John wasn't jealous. He said this in John 3.30. He, talking about Jesus, he must increase that I must decrease. John says, this is not about me. I'm just a messenger. The message is about Jesus. It still is. We too are messengers. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ. As though he were making his appeal to the world through us. We have this amazing privilege not because we're amazing in and of ourselves but because our God is an amazing God and he's given us an amazing calling to share the good news of Christ with the world. The Great Commission Jesus said go and as you go make disciples of all nations and we've been commissioned as the disciples were in the New Testament to go and as we go to reach people the gospel and help people to grow in their faith and become more like Christ as well. John told the people, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After the resurrection of Jesus, after his ascension to heaven, the followers of Jesus Christ were gathered for a prayer meeting in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit came down upon those followers of Christ and it looked like tongues of fire was over each of their heads, and they began speaking in unknown languages, and the people who heard them were amazed because they heard what they said in their own languages, even though the disciples had not studied those languages. And Peter Peter preached, and 3,000 people were saved. It's incredible. The power of the Holy Spirit did through their lives. John said, I baptize you with water. But this Jesus, this one I'm introducing, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist had a mission. He was calling people to get ready for the first coming of Jesus. We too have a mission. We've got to be helping people get ready for his second coming. I've got two questions before we close. Question number one is this. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come again? Are you ready to meet the Lord? I challenge you, I encourage you, I plead with you to get ready before you leave this place. Some of you may say, well, I don't have enough time to get ready. It's not about time. It's about surrender. Surrender to Jesus Christ right here and right now. Surrender your life to him. And he will get you ready. You can leave this building knowing that you're right with God. No matter who you are, no matter how many sins you think that you've committed, no matter how horrible you think you've been, you can leave the building today being right with God. Don't leave here without knowing. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, give your life to him today. And if you have given your life to Christ, but you know that if Jesus were to come back in the next five minutes, you wouldn't be saying, Hallelujah, here comes the Lord. You'd be what said, Hey, God, can I have about five minutes? I need to talk to you about some things. Now's your time. Talk to God about some things, get it right with Him. Nail it down. First of all, that you know Jesus. And ask God to search your heart and show you anything in your life that he wants to change. That's question number one, are you ready? Question number two is this, what are you doing to help others get ready? You see, a lot of you go to school with people that you know they're not ready to meet the Lord. Some of you teach in schools and you know there are many people there who don't know the Lord. Some of you work in places that you know there are people there who don't know the Lord. All of us live in neighborhoods and communities, and we know there are people there who don't know the Lord, and somehow, way, we've got to be instruments of God to declare the message of Christ and help people get ready, because Jesus Christ is coming back. Do you believe that? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it is our commission to help people get ready. Easter Sunday is coming, two weeks, okay? There is never a better time to invite somebody to come to worship than on Easter Sunday. There is never a better time to share the good news of Christ with somebody than leading up to Easter Sunday. The world is talking about it. And we have an opportunity to share Christ, to invite people to come and hear the message of Christ. And we've made up cards for you as you leave today. If you don't have any in your hand, now you can take some when you go or take more when you go. Take as many as you need. Find people that you can invite to hear the message of Christ because we've got to help people to get ready. Take a picture of the card on your phone. Put it on your Facebook page. We've got to help people get ready. We've got to look for people who need Christ. We've got to share the hope that we have in Christ, the faith that we have in Christ, the love that we have for Christ because people need to get ready. And it's our challenge to help others to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Or are you helping others get ready? That's our mission. That's our commission.